Well, good evening. Welcome to our First John class, Master Class Theology. I'm Joel, Big Rev. Here we are in First John chapter 2, and we're going to kind of bleed into chapter 3 tonight. So that's the beauty of, 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 the, of the text we're given. As it was written, there were no chapter numbers, there were no verse numbers. It was just one nice, big, long paragraph. So we have the blessing in our study of having... You know, take John three sixteen, the big three, little sixteen. We have, we have, for our organizational processes, we we have those numbers to help us out, but it's all one big letter that that John was writing here. So we're in like, in, for our understanding, chapter two twenty eight to three ten, and I I entitled tonight pause, and we don't do enough pausing in our life. That is something that we just don't naturally do anymore. And by and large, life is not as boring as it once was. Because with our current technological mindset, if you're stuck in line somewhere, you could pull out your phone and you can occupy yourself. If you are stuck in a spot where I just feel like I'm so bored, you could always find something to do with your mind. This whole idea of pausing and reflecting, it got me thinking of, and it, it, it made it easier that the pop, pop artist Kanye West has just recently dropped an album. One of the tracks on that album is Salah. And Salah is a Hebrew word, a, I would say a difficult to translate Hebrew word. You find it in a lot of Psalms. In, this, in the book of Psalms, you'll see just a few lines, and all of a sudden you'll see Salah. And we don't exactly know what Salah means, but the best translation I found is to pause and to reflect. Because it kind of means to lift up or to praise, but the way it was used by readers of Scripture and the cantors or the singers of Scripture would use it as a pause. They would use it as like a, a, a break in the action. Now let's praise and we pause. So tonight we're going to pause. Tonight's going to be a bit more reflective and there's going to be times in our in our in in our uh, in our journey tonight where we've got um, we'll have a pause to praise, a pause to ponder, and a pause to assess. And John's going to give us some cool information in our text tonight that's going to drive us to pause and reflect. And then we're going to close with that as well. So let's open the word of prayer. God, I thank you for this time we have tonight in your word. And Lord, I just pray that we would be challenged and encouraged as we study uh, your wonderful text. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, just learn to pause in our daily life and find value in, in that pause. And in those pauses, Lord, just reflect on who you are and what you've done and who you call us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin with a pause to praise. Uh, chapter 2, 28 to 3, verse 3. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, 
and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. I remember a time when I paused to praise. We were, uh, it was, it was the first time I got to leave the country, went to the, the a Spanish trip, we went to the nation of Peru, Spanish class, we went to Peru, and I thought it was so cool, we got to go down there, and one of the highlights of the trip is you're going to see Machu Picchu, so we, we took the little, we went from Lima to, to Cusco, and took the little rickety train, you know, up, you know, all the way up to the, that, uh, that Andes, Mount, you know, Incan Indian Andes Mountains area, the, the Machu Picchu, which I guess has a horrible past of sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, while we were up there, they gave us a choice. They said, okay, class, those of you that want the Machu Picchu experience can walk. You want to do these great mountain steps and go all the way around the mountain area and just, and just check out everything and get the great pictures and the, the picturesque, the wonder to walk the, where, the places the Incans walk, or you can take these two or three hours and just have Machu Picchu on your own. Well, the last thing I wanted to do was walk some more. So I sat down. I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And they said, well, if, you choose, if you choose to do Machu Picchu on your own, there's only one rule. And that one rule is don't sit on the walls and don't, because uh, those are dangerous. You're up way in the mountains. So there's the Urubamba Valley way down there. Don't sit on the walls. Whatever you do, you can do whatever you want. Don't play on the walls. So what did I do? <laughs> I sat on the wall. You know, I was a 20-something-year-old college kid, and I'm 19 maybe, I forget. But, uh, but yeah, I sat on the wall, and uh, I dangled my feet down and into the valley, and I just uh, pulled out my little satchel, and I, and I got out my... All I saw was green everywhere, all the way down to the valley, this little Urubamba River way down there, and whatever little, little trucks driving on were like little ants. They were so small, all these things, and little roads, and green everywhere. So I got out my journal that I'd been writing my Spanish stuff down on. We were, told, we were told to journal in Spanish every day about things. So, okay, I was practicing my Spanish conjugations that I drew. And then I said, you know what, I'm sick of conjugating words about leaves and foliage and that kind of stuff and having to look up vocabulary, so, vocabulary words. So, okay, I'm just going to draw. So I just started to draw what I saw. I'm not, the great, I'm not a great artist, but my artistic skill is if I see something and I draw it, that's kind of what I do. Or I can copy something that's already there. I can, I can copy someone else's artwork by drawing it. So that was okay. I wasn't after coming up with anything brand new. So I was drawing. And I was having this moment where I said, you know what? I'm just going to start reading God's word right now. I'm by myself way up here. I decided to pause and to praise. I was surrounded by nothing but green. So I started in Genesis 1. I just wanted the in the beginning. I wanted that God created the heavens and the earth. I just wanted this great creation reminder in the midst of all this wonderful green leafy creation. And as those of you have heard my story before, I was so high up in the mountains that it was a really cool moment where a cloud literally descended upon me. Because we were up with the clouds, but a cloud, just all of a sudden, I'm like, I can't see anything. And it was a cloud. I was in a cloud. So I have had a worship service, a Bible study, in a cloud. Before, with all the whole advent of Apple and computers, the cloud means something different. Now, that was literally in a cloud. 
that was because I just needed to pause and reflect. I needed that. The hustle and bustle, just all the stuff going on, a different culture. I'd never been out of the country before. All these things, I needed to pause. And in my pausing, I praised. Now, we have in our text here, John. By the time we get to chapter 3, John has a worship service. You see that? He's talking about life, talking about life, and he's righteous, you need to be righteous. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. It's like John breaks off into this doxology, this worship service. He is just pausing here in his letter to praise. Now, we have some blanks here on number 1 for verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. The blanks are present, ongoing, faithfulness present ongoing faithfulness leads to future confidence and this is something you practice all the time if I want to be confident Monday morning when I get on my scale and I weigh myself and I record my weight for the week if I want to be confident in that moment I need to be present and ongoing and faithful as I eat and as I do my steps throughout the week If I behave Tuesday to Sunday, my weigh-in time on Monday, I should have some confidence there. And that's kind of the image we get here from John. The goal of your Christian life is when Jesus comes back, you to be confident in your place with him and unashamed. So much of our life, our sin affects us and it causes us to feel shame. That's one of the blessings of the cross. We have forgiveness. The sin is actually paid for and dealt with so that shame no longer has to be our ruler of our heart. Confident and unashamed. Present, ongoing faithfulness. So how you are today, someone once described the Christian faith as as a long obedience in the same direction. Keep at it. Keep at it. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. This is like a movie mafia verse. This describes the family. That at some point, how you live reveals who you truly serve. He starts talking about God's family values here. In verse 29, verses 1, 2, and 3. Being born of God. It's just like, kind of like if you... If, we all have these... We've all known a family like this where the family characteristics are very strong... Maybe there's a hair color that everyone in the family has. You can tell that person is a Johnson. Let's just make up a name. That person is, you know, of that family because they have that nose or they have that hair color or they have the way that skin's, what the facial structure. You're like, oh, yeah, boy, you look just like your mother did when she was in high school or what, what have you. And so you can tell when someone belongs genetically to a certain family because they all tend to look the same. They all tend to have these similar characteristics, or by and large. There's some oddballs and black sheep here and there. But by and large, you can tell. You see this all the time in our celebrity culture. Whenever there's a celebrity, all of a sudden, oh, here's my my daughter. Oh, yeah, she must be related to this one because she looks just like her mother. Or, boy, he looks just like dad. I'm I'm blessed. My son looks just like me. My daughter looks looks just like her mother. And it's just kind of one of those things where anyone who looks at my son for too long realizes, oh, yeah, I, I, see, I see Joel there. I, I see his daddy. And, oh, well. Now, we're not talking about genes and biology here. Because 
we don't have God's genetic material in us, as it were. But his family values are still going to out themselves in those who were truly born of him. Your family characteristics identify you. In fact, if you take Jesus at his word, especially as he confronts his enemies, the Pharisees, in the book of John, he talks about who their father was and how because of the lies that they told and the way they lived their life, he said, you act like your father, who's not Jesus' father, God, you act like your father, the devil. So really, in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual warfare sense, we demonstrate the family values of the family that we value. If you're living this life more to please yourself, then you're living as if like the devil's your father. If you're living more to deny yourself and more to please God, you're living as if God is your father. You see, if you belong to God's family, those characteristics are going to out themselves. They're going to reveal themselves. Family characteristics identify you. And what are some of the family characteristics? Look at verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know Him. Family members are loved. We're loved by God, and family relationships grow. What an immense privilege. Is it John is looking at this and saying, Wow, I'm a part of God's family. God chose me to be a part of His family. You may have rough days. You may look in the mirror and not like what you see. You may look at your life and go, oh, geez, I haven't accomplished this. Or, oh, boy, I just really wish I had done this or I had said this or I had accomplished this or I would have, what have you. You may look at your life and go, oh, but pause. Pause. And in that pause, remember, God chose you. He loves you and you are part of his family. You may not feel like much to write home about. Oh, well, you're part of his family. See what great love. I see John being giddy here. You can see, that's what we are, he says. Wow. Dear friends, verse 2. Now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him. And we'll see him as he is. You see... When you're part of God's family, you, 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 you pay attention to God, to, to our Father's timing, and we, we fall, fall in line with His timing. You see, in this verse 2, we have a tension here between an already and a not yet. Yeah, one day we're going to be like Him, but not yet, because we're still like us right now. We're still living in these mortal bodies. We're still dealing with sin and temptation, all that kind of stuff. One day that's not going to be the case anymore. We're going to go to heaven. So we got this tension between this already and the not yet. That's all on God's timing. So, it's kind of like if you, were, if you went on a family vacation, you basically did whatever mom and dad said. Okay, today we're going to do this one. And tomorrow we're going to go visit this one. The next day we're going to visit this one. And the next day we're going to visit this one. The itinerary is all up to mom and dad. And yeah, you can whine, you can protest, you might even try to run away, do your own thing, what have you. But if you follow the family rules, you're going to march by what mommy and daddy say. Their timing, their everything. And you'll have a good vacation together. We follow God's timing. We follow his timing, so we have to wait until that day. Fine. Because one day we're going to be eyewitnesses of Jesus. You know how John was an eyewitness of Jesus? We talked about that in chapter 1. 
He's saying, guess what? One day you're going to be that eyewitness. And you're going to see him in his glory. You're going to see him as he is. And one day that's going to be like you too. The body's ready for eternity. But not yet. Until then, live differently. Seek to live a pure life. You see, family members are loved. Our family relationships, they do grow. The family follows God's timing, and then children change to be like the Father. Verse 3, all who have this hope in them purify themselves just as he is pure. One of the great challenges of being a daddy is keeping my mouth shut. Because I know that if I say something, my kids are going to repeat it all the time. If I have an attitude thing that needs to change, my kids are going to see that. Oh, it breaks my heart. I come to my son and I ask for forgiveness for being angry. And he responds, Daddy, I always forgive you when you're angry. Ouch. Yes, that's sweet. And I'm so very thankful. But what was not said there, I'm angry a lot. His go-to position is to forgive Daddy when Daddy's angry. Because Daddy's losing his temper or Daddy is just, what, what have you? This is not the first time daddy's asked forgiveness. See, kids are going to follow along with that. Kids are going to mimic their, their parents. So children need to change to be like their father. John 1, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not, nor of human decision, or of her husband's will, but born of God. Wow. Your new identity in Christ is an already and a not yet quality. Your future hope is fueled by your present change. We've discussed this in the past. A great question to ask yourself is, how do I need to change to be more like Jesus? What needs to change about me to be more like him? And you see, that hope that you have, that one day you are going to be like Jesus, that's fueled by your changing to be more like him now. We therefore strive for moral purity now to be like our big brother Jesus and our daddy, Father God. So let's pause here. And this is the time where I'm not expecting any words to be said. This is the time between you and your pencil and your paper. How does God's love motivate you to worship and to serve him and you got to remember we've talked about this and we mentioned about hate it's very easy to go wow god loves me jesus loves me you know as a guy i'm not seeking guys to love me that just doesn't, that just doesn't go well with me but if i remember especially in god the father's case he's not emotional like i'm emotional my emotion is all about sin so when god says he loves that also means he chose. He chose me to give that very thing to. So I like to think of it that way. The very fact that God chose me to be in his family. That's blowing John's mind right here in verse 1. He's like, oh my gosh, wow! How great is this love he's bestowed upon us that we get to be called children of God! I mean, really? Wow, and that's what we are. John is having a spiritual just awakening here with himself. His mind is just, he just, 
I just, I love how genuine and organic these verses are. He's just, his praise is just flowing out of his mouth, onto the pen, onto the page. So just take a couple moments here with your page. You're pausing and reflecting. How does God's love motivate you to worship him? And the word worship also means to serve. So just pause to praise. How are you motivated to be a better family member, as it were? in God's family. Just write a couple things down. Things that come to mind, maybe there's sins that you're cherishing, maybe there are attitudes that you have, maybe there's things that you know you should be doing but you're not. Maybe there's things that you know you shouldn't be doing and you are. Just take a moment. God loves you and in that love, God chose you. I love that old hymn, Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. The whole rest of my life is one gigantic thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I like to imagine when I get to heaven, I'm going to be just saying thank you forever. Just constantly thanking Jesus until he says enough already. Let's go, let's go fishing or something. I don't know what he's going to say. Just thank you. Thank you. You saved even me. <clears throat> Write down your response. You're just, you're just pausing here. You're pausing just to praise. And you can praise with your thoughts. You can praise with your convictions right now. You can praise with the very words you write down on your page. How does God's love motivate you to worship or serve him? Keep thinking about that. I'm going to read the next section. We pause to praise. We're going to pause to ponder. When's the last time you've pondered? Are our culture is not a very pondering culture. Like, come on, I'm just going to stop and think about this concept for a good long time. Instead, we get bored and we do other things. Like, oh, I'm tired of thinking about that. Let's go do the dishes. Let's go play on the phone. Or let's just go, I don't know, do anything else but ponder things. Some people can't face themselves to go to sleep. They've got to turn the TV on, or they've got to have their phone right there playing a video or something. They have to have a book right by the bed. They just can't wind their thoughts down because they're forced to ponder things. They're forced to take stock of the, the, their shelves, as it were, of their life. And it's, it can be painful, especially if you are filled with shame, and especially if you, if you really struggle with things. Let's pause to ponder. Four to six, everyone who sins breaks the law. Boy, John changes tracks right away. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So you can see already. Once again, the, well, whoever John's enemies are, these wolves that are trying to drag the church astray. You can, you can reverse engineer this. And you can hear the things that they're saying. Oh, we know him. Oh, we've seen him. And it doesn't matter how we live our life because we know him. You can, just, you can just reverse engineer the kind of junk they're saying to poison the well of this church. And John is laying it out here. We don't have to read between the lines too hard. Number one, verse four. Ponder the fact that you routinely break God's law. Sin equals lawlessness. Maybe it'll help if you ponder something. What's the image that comes to your mind? And write this image down, down if you would. 
when you think of lawlessness, what comes to your mind? Lawlessness. Maybe you think about some kind of weird protester or some kind of someone who's just trying to make, make a stink everywhere they go and they try to make, you know. What's lawless to you? Have that image in your mind. Who is that kind of person where you would just kind of, you know, you would tut, 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 you would, you know, you would just kind of, ugh. You know, you, you would shake, you waggle your finger at them. Who is that individual, that kind of person that is just lawless? That kind of image that is negative and is raunchy and is just horrible. What is that? Have that image on your mind. And here's where it kicks your butt. All sin is lawlessness. But it was just a small sin. Oh, I, I just stole a piece of candy. Or, you know, it was just a small lie. Or, I just gossiped just a little bit. I didn't gossip like that person. Or, or you know what? I just, I, I just held on to my bitterness within me. And I just, argh, I didn't really forgive my enemy. But I just kind of hated them for a bit. And then I, oh, okay. Little bitty sins in God's economy are the same as great gigantic sins. Now, as they play out in our culture, what is punished by a court of law? Differences. You know, stealing a piece of candy from the store and robbing a bank are going to get you two different punishments. Obvious. But to God, sin is still sin. Holiness is still holiness. So, ponder the fact that you routinely break God's law. If you still struggle with a sin that you refuse to give up, you are routinely breaking God's law. It's as if you're saying to God's law, I don't really care that much because I would rather keep sinning and then still go to God and ask, me, ask for forgiveness. Better to ask forgiveness than permission, we like to say. You see, verse 4 should smack you in your noggin, metaphorically, of course. You are lawless. That very image you have in your mind you are a lawbreaker. You are lawless. Your sin, you've got to picture your sin that way or you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow. There's no rationalizing your sin. There's no, well, God, I'm holding tough cards. Or God, if you only knew what my neighbor was like, you wouldn't think about my sin. God, if only this, 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 yada, yada, yada. That's just not the way it is. Ponder the fact that you routinely break God's law. Ponder the fact, number, number two, that Jesus paid for your mistakes and not his. Did you catch that? But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. In him there is no sin. Unlike any of the other Old Testament priests who had to like sacrifice a bull for themselves and their own sins before they even began to sacrifice for anybody else, they had to cover them and clean themselves before they could even provide any kind of atonement for anybody else on the altar. Jesus, when he paid it all, he paid for zero of him and for a hundred of you. Now, you're not the only one, but he paid for all your sin. So ponder the fact that you routinely break God's law. Ponder the fact that Jesus paid for your mistakes and not his. And ponder, number three, ponder the fact that you need to change and be more like Jesus. Verse six, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Don't fall into the mistake of the group that was challenging John. 
who thought they could really live any way they want and say, you know what, Jesus knows me. We're good. We had that moment back at camp. We had that moment when I was a kid in my Iwana class or in youth group, or we had that moment you know, when I listened to the sermon and, I, and I, I came forward, and we had that moment, God, we're good. If that's the case, your lawlessness, your lawlessness should offend you to the core of your very being. You see, there's a difference here in the sin in this, in this chapter and in the one in the previous chapter. In the previous chapter, I described sin as, in a football sense, like sometimes we fumble. Sometimes we fumble the ball, we make mistakes, it's going to happen. On this side of heaven, it's going to happen. We're going to sin. And when we sin, we have an advocate who died in our place. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. But fumbling is going to happen, you are occasionally going to sin. Here, I'm not getting that sense. Here, this isn't so much of a, the occasional fumble. This seems like betrayal. This seems like, like Mo, Curly, and Larry nyuck, nyuck, poking God in the eye and saying, well, take this. I'm going to live however I darn well please. That's not going to fly with Jesus. The same Jesus who says, deny yourself, then pick up your cross and follow him. There's a tension here because sin is sin. But what's the attitude when you sin? Because that first sin, you're going to be quick to repent. Like, oh my gosh, um, wow, Lord, I, I sinned and I've fallen short and I'm so sorry. Please help me to change. This idea of like, you know, we're close, me and God, so maybe I'm not really as bad of a sinner as I think. That's almost like the Pharisees, you know, being willing to, you know, blaspheme the Holy Spirit and do, doing an unpardonable sin kind of thing. It's like, I can live however I want. Now, I say this knowing that was a great decade of my life that was not a great decade where I played this game with God's grace. And I would have the same shameful prayer every night. God, I did it again. God, I sinned again. God, I just could not give this sin up. And I did it again. God, will you please forgive me again? And I would throw 1 John 1, 9 at God and say, God, you promised. I'm confessing. Oh, I was a jerk. Oh, I look back at those days. And you know what? I live those days, it seems like, for this moment, for this illustration, the more I look back at myself. Oh. I was such a betrayal, a betrayer of God and that grace. Boy, I'm glad God got a hold of me and gave me a purpose. I'm so glad God did not give up on me. I would have given up on me. I wish I would have had someone, a large man in a ridiculous striped shirt telling me, hey, you're a lawbreaker and you're lawless. What you're doing is, come on. You would call yourself a Christian because that was the worst thing. I was the king of my youth group. I was on the someday I'm going to be a pastor kind of tract. I thought, yeah. I was hypocrite of hypocrites. So ashamed of that time. But even more than that shame, I go back to verse 1, and I'm celebrating. God, you chose me. I wouldn't have chosen me. I'm the first training out of here. I'm done with you. Now, if God could not be done with me, he sure as heck fire isn't done with you. John 8, 
Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Jesus says, if I am telling, I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you don't belong to God. Wow. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You've got a lot to ponder there. We pause to praise, we pause to ponder. Now we pause to assess. 7 to 10. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. This is a really awkward image John uses. The idea of, of, of seed is kind of like the Greek is related to the word for sperm. And it's kind of an awkward image here of sperm, the God's seed remaining. Now, I don't want you to think of God in sexual terms. The only reason I bring this up is that John brings this up. And it's a fair, I want you to think about this, is that you know what God his spiritual seed, as it were. And this is the same thing as in Galatians. All those who belong to Christ are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Same idea. How can you keep sinning if God is still showing you he's your father? You're a member of his family, remember? So that, that's the image we're getting here. I know it's kind of a gross image to think of with God. And again, I don't do this lightly, but it's there in the text. I've got to continue reading here. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Okay, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So that image of a of, of, of seed and then childbirth, which happens in biology, is happening here. You've been born of God. You are now part of God's family because of that spiritual seed that God Okay, it all, it all makes sense here because you are now in God's family because of God's choice. Not your mom's choice, your dad's choice, right? Say it, even your choice. God's choice. He's the one who's shown that saving love. This is how we know who the children of God are. Boy, you can tell. You can tell how John is, 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 is pounding back at these secession people who are trying to divide. We are God's children. We are God's... No, no, no. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. You can check John's prequel, the book of John. And Jesus talked about that. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. John's Greek is very simple. It is very almost elementary. It is very, very lightly written. But this is some of the heaviest stuff in the Bible. John routinely brings a sledgehammer. Boom! 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 First John is one of the most convicting books in the Bible. It just does not let you go. You cannot wiggle off any hook. This is it. John is just full of nonstop either or. So assess how you've been straying from God. How are you not living rightly before God? Write it down. How are you straying? My prayer is that you don't have to write down a lot of things. But even as I mention this to you and you're forced to put, pick up your pen or pencil and write, you know the Holy Spirit is telling you something right now. 
Now, I'm not asking for the person next to you to know that, but you write that down. Assess yourself. How have you been straying from God? How are you not living rightly before God? Verse 7. Verse 7, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. That's it. How are you not living like Jesus? What is an area of your life that's being brought to your mind and heart right now that you know needs to stop? That you know is an issue that it's like, it's like enough. Number two, assess the spiritual landscape. Who do you mimic when you sin? Why do you serve your enemy? The one who does what is sinful, verse 8, is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. This would be like, I'm trying to I picture a, 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 a war image that would fit. Let's just picture, uh, I don't know, the Civil War or even the Revolutionary War in America here. Uh, here it is, the great armistice has been signed, the great ceasefire, they've handed over, the, the one general has handed the sword to the other general, the war is over, the battles are, it's all over, victory, one side is clearly won, one side is clearly surrendered, all right? Now picture that as the cross. And now you, who keeps on sinning, like the war's over, but you keep fighting now, battles, by sinning against Jesus? I mean, in your sin, even though the war was won on the cross, and you, as you continue to sin, you're keeping fighting battles? It's like you keep bringing more issue and more ick and more warfare into what's already been settled. That doesn't make any sense. Neither does your continuing to sin. We've got to stop that. How it makes no sense to keep fighting after the great surrender and ceasefire is over. Now I get it. Scripture says the devil's still prowling around. He's still trying to get us to trip up, all that kind of stuff. I get it. We're still being tempted. But I just want you to grasp your mind to assess your sin from a spiritual warfare sense. Who are you fighting for when you keep sinning? And who are you really fighting against? Because one side wants you to keep sinning, and the other side does not want you to keep sinning. One side tempts you to sin. One side paid for your sin. So from a spiritual warfare standpoint, assess that. Why do you serve your enemy? Number three, assess the areas of your life in which you use the word continue. Verse nine. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Just forget the whole God seed thing that I had to make a mention of here for a moment. Just the first part of the verse. No one who's in God's family is going to continue to sin. So, this might be something similar to what you wrote just a couple minutes ago. What's something in your life where you would use the word continue? Especially when it's something of your character or something of your sinful habits. A habit is a continue. You continue to do this. Oh, I, I, I know plenty of what I could have written many, many years ago, especially that season of my life that I criticized. Oh my goodness! I was so addicted to myself and the lust of the flesh. I know exactly what I continued to do. What do you continue to do? What is still, maybe you're just a very bitter person. Maybe you are a very 
I don't know, maybe it's something where you're just very stuck on yourself. You're, you want to please yourself no matter what. You want to get a great attaboy or an atta girl. You're always looking to get yours. You're always looking to get more. I don't know what it is. There's all kinds of sin issues in the Bible that God talks about. What's yours? What's something you continue to do? You're probably not happy about it. In fact, I hope you're not. But what is it? Pause to assess. Verse 9 continues. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. What is it? Today's lesson is a little bit more reflective. I'm inviting you to mark up this page with things that you don't like to write down. Finally, assess how you live and love as a member of God's family. Verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Ouch. That sounds like a really cheesy, like HBO 80s movie or something. The children of the devil. Yeah. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Now you can, you can just reverse engineer that just for a second and say, God's child will do the right you're going to make the choices. If you're truly God's child, you're going to live to make choices that honor him. A child will mimic his daddy. A child wants the approval of his daddy. A child wants to know that daddy's proud of him. So, assess how you live in love. Because he continues, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister God's child. You see, that's going to become a big theme here. Because evidently that was a big issue with these uh, secession group. That they could just, I can treat people however I want. No, if you really loved your brother and sister in Christ, you wouldn't be leading them astray. You wouldn't be trying to get between them and God. You've got to show practical love to the rest of the members of the family if you claim to be of the Father. Now, just in case any of you got kind of caught up with this whole seed business in uh, verses 7 to 10, like, oh my gosh, Joel, why'd you bring that up? Well, in the most famous chapter of the Bible, John 3, and I say it's the most famous chapter because John 3, 16 is the most famous verse. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And remember, this counts because he'd been talking about being born again and Nicodemus is like, seriously? He, he, he thought of like, do I have to like involve my mother again with being born again? And those, those disgusting, seriously? I got in. And Jesus is like, no. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but I cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. This is being born of the spirit. Your mother birthed you. That is born of the flesh. This is being born of the spirit. Final question. We've paused to praise, paused to ponder, and paused to assess. How did today's text challenge you to fearlessly face yourself? Something in this text really, really worked you over. 
what about you, one of the greatest things you can do for yourself is to fearlessly face yourself. When I did a step study and celebrate recovery, my favorite step was step four. Step four was taking a moral and spiritual inventory. Who have I hurt? Who has hurt me? Does amends need to be made? That kind of thing. That step four changed my life. I had to fearlessly face the wretch that I am. Not wretch that I was, wretch that I am. That's why the hymn Amazing Grace is extra sweet, because it saved a wretch like me. Even me. How did today's text challenge you to fearlessly face yourself? I had a pause and reflect moment. I'll close with this this morning. Oh, man. Beware somebody. If somebody is ever teaching you and, and, and he or she is always the hero of their own stories and it's always the hero, like every story makes them look good, beware that. This is one that does not make me look good. I have plenty of those. <laughs> right? I think that's why you like me so much because I am a pretty broken dude. Oh my goodness. So we're trying to get out the door this morning, trying to get my son to school and okay, all the things you got to do, the coat, the, the, the lunch pack, the book bag, the shoes are on, the glasses are on, the car's warmed up, all the, I got to brush the snow off the car, all these things, and I had it all ready to go, boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, we're just in the nick of time, and I got his little sister's going to also go to preschool, and she's kind of crying for this or that, and I got all these things going on, breakfast is over, teeth are brushed, all these things, let's go! Where's daddy's keys? Now, I, I got, keep my keys are my business, Okay? I'm the kind of guy that I don't like people touching my keys. Because I had everything planned out of my head. We're ready to go. I got it all ready to go. Boom, boom, boom. But without my keys, we're not going to go anywhere. This is the Wednesday morning. is my wife's early morning. She was out of the house by then. She's going, going to the city or wherever she's going that day for her hospice thing, her chaplaincy. She, she's out and about doing her thing. She's, she's gone. It's, it's incumbent upon me to get the kids to school on Wednesday. No keys. So I'm kind of freaking out. Now, to my credit, I did not slip into bad daddy mode and allow the sarcasm to start building and allow the, who took my keys? I've been warning you people, don't ever touch my keys. And, don't ever and I'll, use, I'll use a comic book image. My, my son loves Marvel. Right now I'm Bruce Banner, but soon I'm going to be the Incredible Hulk. Somebody better find my keys. You know, I'm tearing the house apart. And, but I stayed calm. Once I stayed calm. But I promise you I wasn't the hero. So here I was, and, and I, at this time, my son is already outside marching towards the car. Yeah, I told him, Josh, we go to the car. And he, go get by the car, and I'll be out there in a moment. Thinking, okay, I'll just grab my keys and go. Wrong. And he's out there, I don't know, doing handsprings or whatever he's doing, because I'm not out there yet. And he's like waiting there, Dad, come on, I'm going to be late. And he's right. And finally, I couldn't find my keys. Finally, I had to do the thing I didn't want to do the most. Son, will you come back inside? Will you help Daddy look? You know how hard it was to get him out to that car? <laughs> but to now invite him back inside? I've been looking. I've been looking for like 10 minutes. I was about to tear my hair out going, where are these keys? I'm like, who's touched my keys? I bet the kids have been playing with my keys. I didn't go there. Thank the Lord I kept a lid on my mouth. My son comes in the house. And he had forgotten his glasses. His son, will you go to your room and get your glasses? Why look for the keys? And then once you get the glasses, will you help me look for the keys? He turns around and says, Daddy, have you prayed to God to help you find your keys? 
dang. Oh, snap. In that moment, I had a sarcastic retort. In that moment, I wanted to say something really... Yeah. But I, all I remember saying was, Joshua, will you help Daddy pray for his keys right now? Pray that I find his keys. I gotta say this, not because it's one of those moments, but it was one of those moments. Joshua says, yeah, of course, Daddy, I'll pray for you to find your keys. 20 seconds later, I found my keys. I've been searching for 10 minutes. Now, a secular humanist would say, okay, I get it. You just needed that extra two or three minutes. You eventually were going to find your keys, but you just needed that last little bit of thing to calm your mind, to pause and reflect, as you say, and then you'll figure out where you put your keys. I found them right next to the coffee maker. I probably would have found the keys if I was not going to school to take my son to school if I was going to make another cup of coffee because the early morning, I've already had a couple cups of coffee. Okay, I, if I had made one more, I would have found them. See, a secular humanist would be wrong at that point because I believe in a sovereign God who planned everything out and planned this morning to the degree that my keys weren't going to be found until my son had asked me to pray. And the moment he prayed for me, boom, the keys were found. And not a moment sooner. That was a pause and reflect kind of moment. That was the moment where I realized, yeah, my seven-year-old just reminded his pastor father to pray. And he was exactly right. My prayer should have been my first move. But it was too tempting to go, oh, come on, it's just lost keys. Why would I pray for that? I mean, come on. And yet that was the first thing out of his mouth. Shame on me. Pause and reflect. That's all I had to do. That's the kind of scenario that God brought me to this morning. To carry with me the rest of my day. To get to the point where I'm saying, I can't tell that to my class tonight. Oh, but you darn well better. Pause. Pause. Or 1 John 2 and 3. Thanks for letting me share.